Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke earlier today to Jeff Quartermain, who's the CEO of Perseus Mining and ASX Gold Producer with assets in West Africa. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports, market commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos and summaries of other interviews that we've done. And of course, a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. And if you go and sign up for the waitlist now, you qualify for a seven-day free trial. Good morning, Jeff. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Of course, it's probably afternoon, probably end of the day for you. You're in Perth. How are things there? Uh, things are beautiful, actually. We're heading into summer and uh, looking forward to it. It's uh, perfect weather at the moment, I must say. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Are you getting a bit stir crazy? Do you want to be sort of uh, jumping on planes and getting onto sites? No, not really. <laughs> no, well, I mean, we certainly haven't been there for very long, but I must admit it's been really nice to spend a bit of time at home and uh, spend time with the family. So uh, I'm not complaining too much. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, so look, um, whole new audience here. Um, could you give us a one minute overview of your story and then I'll pick it up from there? Yeah, sure. So basically, we, we are we're headquartered here in Perth, but all of our operations are in West Africa. So for all intents and purposes, we're a West African-focused company. We're, we've got two mines at the moment. We're about to bring our third on stream, operating in a couple of countries. So multi-mine, multi-jurisdictional. Uh, started off from a being a fairly small uh, explorer, and uh, we've had a pretty interesting journey over the last 10 years to, to get to where we are today. Well, isn't that the truth? Mining's not easy, right? Um, but your, your quarterly came out recently, and I think, you know, it was, it was some good numbers in there, um, but the market hasn't reacted the way that you probably hoped it would. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a very good question, actually, and, and nobody can really put a finger on it, to be perfectly truthful, because it was a very good set of numbers, and, and we were, were reporting on, a, you know, advances on our development projects, et cetera, et cetera. I think probably if I had to name a single thing, I, I guess there is some nervousness in the market around the electoral process in West Africa. So both Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana are, are heading into elections fairly shortly. And uh, I guess historically that has been a time of, of some volatility and, and some investors may well feel a little bit anxious around that, not to mention, you know, the, the entire, you know, uh, equity uh, market around the world, to be frank, at the moment. Right. Okay. I mean, it, it's kind of, it seems to be, I mean, if looking at your share price, it seems to have sort of followed gold, seems to have tracked gold quite well. You know, gold's, you know, I think you started um, doing quite well at the end of last year. You saw, you followed the dip in March and you followed the, the rise of gold this year. And I think, a lot of gold companies have, have done that. So the market seems to be giving credit to the gold price and not to your efforts. Would that be fair to say? Well, I, I think I think that could, you could possibly say that's right. I think the thing is this, that, um, you know, if you go back in, in time, um, when Perseus first started its, uh, it, its, its life, I mean, we did go through a few fairly challenging years as a single mine company. Um, with, a, with a fairly difficult uh, operation, I might say. And so I, I guess, you know, we're in the stage where it's proof of concept, basically. And as we go forward each each quarter, quarter on quarter, we're, we're laying down a consistent record of performance. And, you know, we're very com comfortable that we're on the verge of, of, of making an irrefutable investment case for people to, to look at and, and hopefully 
have people forget about what what transpired in the early years of the company and look at what we're actually doing now and what we'll deliver into the future because it is tremendously exciting. Right. Okay. Well, I'd love to actually dig into that if I may, because you know if you're dealing with legacy issues from a long time ago and you, you feel that people are still judging you by you know those measures. You're right. It's a lots of baby steps to, that you've got to deliver to show consistency. So let's talk about that. So you were, as you say, Explorer ten years ago, and you built your 1.5 billion Aussie market cap today. You know that's a sizable, meaningful company. Um, but it is you've got to show growth. You've got to show the ability to continue to grow. Um, so can we talk about what you set out to do in the early early days and how you've kind of got to where you are today? Because I, I would then be interested in having a conversation about how you future-proof the company and, and, and show that growth. So maybe if we start off with a kind of business sure. plan. Well, well, I think, to be perfectly frank, when the company was started, um, the plan was fairly very or very short-sighted in the sense that the guys were explorers and they wanted to get out and do their thing and what have you. And then, um, you know, made a discovery and a bull market came along, the, the last bull market came and before terribly long, um, you know, they were, had moved from an explorer to a developer and to an operator. In fact, I sort of in my my sort of more thoughtful moments to refer to Perseus as the accidental miner because I don't think that, that you know, the people who, uh, you know, set the company up and got it running really ever had in their mind that one day we would be a, a multi-mine, multi-jurisdictional business. They were sort of thinking about getting, you know, getting uh, enough ounces on the balance sheet to be able to attract a very attractive takeover offer, but that didn't happen and then the rest is history. So the thing was that uh, I took over running the company. I joined as a CFO originally, but I took over running the company early 2013 when the gold price was was into a fairly steep decline and, and life was, you know, was looking quite challenging. It, it became very, very apparent to me that, um, that, the, the nature of the asset that we had and where we were located, being a single mine, um, single you know jurisdiction company was a very very difficult way to earn a earn a living, and that we should as soon as we practically could branch out and into another country, another operations, and spread the risk across the business, and uh, and so that was what we set about doing. However, before we could have that growth, we needed to get the first mine operating properly. And that took quite a bit of doing, I might say. There were a few legacy issues that needed to be addressed and, and, it, and it took some time to, to get them right. Now, um, once we did that, um, we, we then um, we went out actually and, um, and, and made a, um, well, we had a, we had a second uh, project available to us. It's a Singhi project in Cote d'Ivoire, which is relatively small. But before we developed that, we actually took over a, a British company, Amara Mining PLC, that owned a, a, a very attractive um, uh, project in, in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, which is called Yayori. Now, um, you know, contrary to a lot of people's thoughts, we went and developed the Sasingi mine straight away before the before we developed the Aori project. And there was a, a very strong industrial logic in that because we could get the Sasingi mine into development very quickly, give ourselves a second cash flow stream, second production stream, diversify the risk. And also what we could do is learn how to operate in a new country without exposing the whole, uh, you know, like leveraging the whole company's success to it. So uh, the Sasingi mine cost us $106 million to build. It was quite small. But I'm very happy to say that by two years later, we'd paid that entire $106 million off back, basically. We generated $106 million in free cash. So 
since then we've been going extremely well and um, and that second income stream has just given us a little bit more flexibility in in, in dealing with um, you know how we wanted to take the company forward which has involved now we're, we're now building the Yori project in fact we should be producing first gold from there in later, later this year in fact in December we'll be pouring our first gold from from Yayori. So that, that's the, that's that's the journey. You've, you've removed as uh, you know single asset risk, single jurisdiction risk, and your your producer. So you, you kind of got that uh, valuation to you. But again, if, if, just looking at the share price, it's with with big companies come bigger problems. They're different sort of problems, but and they're bigger problems, and they they, they cost more, and it's a different set of uh, skills required to to deal with that. So rather than sort of spend time talking about the quarterly, which I think people have poured over, and you've you've done a lot of interviews on. Let, let's just talk about the growth component because that that's what fascinates me how big companies have to just work hard just to stand still right so where's the growth come from well look just to put it in perspective so right now this financial year we produced around 262 ounces of gold by fiscal 2022 uh, we'll be producing half a million ounces of gold and we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future in this stage we've got about all of the years of, of, of uh, uh, inventory uh, that we can pr- uh, produce. So, you know, we've, we've gone from being a small producer to half a million ounces. Now, the challenge for us is to keep that, keep replacing what we what we consume and, if possible, to increase it as well. And so, look, we've looked at that situation and we've said, right, here, well, um, we're going to be generating a lot of a lot of free cash flow. Very, or actually, we are generating a lot of cash now, but it's going to become even greater, for instance, just to put it in perspective. So last quarter, we, we made about um, $630 an ounce. Now, if we're producing half a million ounces a year, that's a lot of cash, like $300 million of cash. And the question is, well, how are you going to deploy this for the benefit of all your stakeholders? And, you know, we see that there are three competing uses. One is to manage our balance sheet. Two is to reward our shareholders through a dividend stream. And three is to continue the growth profile of the business. Now, if we look at you know how we how are we actually going to execute that, we we're looking at the the, the broad cycles and things at the moment, and we say, well, where, where the gold price is is very very expensive to do acquisitions, but we've got a a, a very good uh, portfolio of exploration assets in, that we've had for some time, and we haven't really had the financial capacity to properly explore them. So for us, the key is going to be organic growth, and that is growth through the drill bit basically. And, you know, we're in a situation now for the first time ever where we've got sufficient cash flow to properly fund the acquisition, the, the expiration of, of those tenements. Very recently, in June of this year, we, we made a takeover bid for, and we successfully completed that in September for a small company called Exor Resources. And it has a 2,000 square kilometre land package just adjacent to our Sasingi mine. Now, we started drilling there on the weekend, or last weekend, actually. And uh, you know we'll we'll be having a, a feasibility study on that particular project early early in the new year in the March quarter, and you know we, we're very confident that 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 acquisition is going to uh, you know give us the wherewithal to keep that Sasingi mine going for quite a number of years beyond where we are. We've also through the the uh, Yayori project, which as I say we're developing, we we're developing that as a uh, an open pit mine, but. Since we've uh, since we've, we've got that, we've discovered that there's actually a massive amount of mineralisation on those tenements, and in particular, there's a huge opportunity to, for us to develop an underground mine off the side of one of the pits. And if, if that concept can be proven, which we'll be seeking to do in the next 
very short period of time, then we've got a very, very decent life ahead of us and, in fact, quite a, 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 an interesting growth curve that I think is the equal of just about anybody in, of our size in the, in the, in the global gold market. Okay, why, why you talk about 630 cash margin. Um, why, why is this, in, a, in this environment, it seems quite low. I mean, were you hedging? Was that the problem? Well, we do, we do do a little bit of hedging, but uh, the average price that we sold at was around $1,600 for the quarter, and that did include some hedging. And um, so, uh, you know, the average cost across the two operations was in the $900 an ounce, so that's about right, $630-odd an ounce. Now, you know, the thing about the hedging is that we do hedge and, and, and unashamedly hedge. Um, you know, our hedging kept the business alive back in 2013, 2014, when the rest of the world was starting to get very anxious around the thing. We hedged to the extent that 20% of our projected production for the next uh, three years is covered at, at just a touch under $1,500 an ounce. Now, you know, if, if uh, people are concerned about the fact that we're not selling 100% of our spot at, at, uh, at our gold at spot price, what I would say to them is this. We're selling 80% of our gold at spot prices. We're selling 20% at hedge prices. And that small sacrifice in revenue gives us the certainty that we can survive in a very, very difficult environment. Because one of the things that we have done in terms of setting up our strategic plan is to say we want to produce a minimum of 500,000 ounces a year. And we want to do it at a cash margin of no less than $400 an ounce in the event that the gold price gets down to $1,250 an ounce. So that's the basic. That's that's the what underpins our our, our thinking, and of course, in this sort of uh, price environment, I mean, we're very happy to uh, to be selling at eighteen or nineteen hundred dollars an ounce. Let me assure you, we don't uh, we don't offer to give any of that back. Um, but um, you know, so so we'll take it while we can get it. But we do like to think, you know, we're running a business for the you know for, for time. We're not. This is not a speculatory company. We're trying to run a proper business here, where we can generate. Um, sufficient cash flow to make sure that we can uh, create benefits for all of our stakeholders. Now, this is a lot of companies say this, but we genuinely mean that all of our stakeholders, shareholders, host communities, host governments, employees, suppliers of goods and services, all of them deserve to get benefits from our activities. And uh, you mentioned the infrastructure that we've built around our mines and the like. And then you're right, we have done, we have invested in, in that replacement housing and things of that nature. I mean, for us, the idea of sustainability is not a theoretical concept. We are a guest in countries where we're not, we're not um, you know, um, citizens of. We're guests in Ghana and we're guests in Cote d'Ivoire. We have to earn, you know, the right to operate in those countries. And we, we, we seek to earn that right by ensuring that both the local people and the broader countries have... You know, generate we generate some real benefits for them by having us in their midst. So it's not a theoretical concept. It's very important. Sustainability is a terribly important part of our business. No, for sure. It's ever more important. Um, can I just talk about the, the mentality of, because you joined in 2013 when it's rel- still a relatively small uh, company, and you've had to grow with the company in terms of your you know thinking and attitude. So you talk about hedging unashamedly, uh, pro hedging, because and is that a historic thing because of the some of the things you experienced as a junior miner, or is it saying that's a realistic, cautious approach for a mid tier company, given we don't know what's going to happen in the future? I want to say, is there, yeah. is there like, are you still thinking in a legacy way 
And is any of your other thinking affected in the same way? What do you think is good prudent uh, management? No. Yeah, no, it is. Look, as the CEO, my, my job is to manage all of the risks in the business, right across the business. Now, the biggest risk that we have is price risk. So I, I, I think it's, you know, a fairly false situation if I'm busily managing all of the risks except the biggest one we face. And, um, you know, so this is just simply part of an overall risk management strategy um, to, to, to make sure that, that our business can be uh, around for the long term. But Jeff, everyone's saying gold's going to go to two and a half thousand American dollars. You're mm. being too cautious, aren't you? Well, if they, if gold goes to those prices, guess what? We'll sell eighty percent at those spot prices. How good is that? That's going to be good news indeed. No, I, I, I just sort of respond to some of the commentary that's come in to us that perhaps yeah, no, you're, no, for sure. you're, you're perhaps being too too negative. You know, and, and, and because, you know, because if you think of it in the context of your mind, so, okay, um, I, I, I think uh, Edican is less than 10 years. You're already less than 10 years. I'm not quite sure what Tsingwe is in terms of uh, life of mine there. So you've got a lot of work to do to kind of, you know, expand that. We'll talk about growth and exploration in a second. So you're, you're forward looking into multiple cycles going forward. So what's, what, is, in fact, what is your view on, on the gold market? What do you think it's going to do? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, look, I, I think uh, it can clearly go up, down, or sideways. Right? There's a there's a straight answer for you. However, having said that, looking at what's out there, you'd have to think that the betting is that it's going to stay strong for for some time, and um, you know we're we're encouraged by that. However, you know I uh, I'm you know not as young as I look. I have been through a few cycles, and um, and uh, you know I do know that that from time to time it will come down. Right? So. We need to make sure that um, under that scenario that, that we're in, in very good shape. One of the things that we are keen to do is to generate quite a lot of cash and, and hopefully take advantage of the next cycle because, then, you know, we'll have the wherewithal to perhaps grow the business, uh, you know, at a time when other people are struggling. And that's all part of the part of the, the longer-term thinking here. Well, that's, see, that's interesting. Okay, you, you did your XOR uh, acquisition. You paid what, about a 70% premium um, to market with the you know twenty day VWAP, I think you had a couple of calculations in there, um, but you're going to have to recover that and some. So what's the kind of what are, what are you estimating they're going to pay back on these acquisitions? In I think, I think it was like June September that those negotiations went on. So you are, you have to pay a premium in, in this kind of environment, and the price is already high. So you just said we'll take advantage in the next cycle when things presumably back, back down. When would you prefer or when would you really, really like to be doing business? Well, look, you know, the thing is this. We, we look at situations and we, we work out how much money can we make from an investment. We looked at the Exor um, situation and we are very comfortable that we are going to make a substantial return on the money that we have paid for that asset. And we've started the exploration confirmation drilling right now. And, and you know, while the results are coming through, we're, we're very comfortable that our analysis was sufficiently prudent to be able to generate a substantial return on, on, on the funds employed. Is it a similar sort of drilling? Because I, I remember, I, I think I spoke with Justin Tremaine earlier in the year. I mean, it's a slightly different profile business than the one you run. Oh, no, no, Justin, they, they, they declared a, a mineral resource, um, about 530,000 ounces, actually. Um, now, when we, when we evaluated the... Uh, the situation we, we discounted that number we felt, felt that you know there needed to be a little bit more work yet uh, to be done before one could could bank all of those answers but on the on the um the the uh, what we saw in the in the in the company we're very comfortable that the price we paid even though it did uh, 
you know, reflect a, um, a premium to the market as it was then, you know, it was a very, very uh, a good price for us to be paying, particularly what, given where, what we can do from here. Because bear in mind, we, we have a plant at Sasingi that's located 60 kilometres up the road, and that plant is one of the more efficient plant, you know, opera processing operations going around. In fact, it, you know, from day one, um, the runtime, um, throughput rates, recoveries, et cetera, have been well in excess of what we, we, we expected them to be. And so by being able to keep that, that mill fed, we, we stand to, to make a lot of money. We don't have to rebuild uh, the plant. We've already got one there. Okay. So no, I think we'll, I think we'll do very well out of that out of that uh, acquisition. Now I don't think the market's fully fully uh, factored that in at this stage of the game, and not surprisingly because we haven't been in a position to disclose all of the, the facts around the the economics of that that particular project. That we're going to be uh, publishing a um, a uh, a feasibility study in the March quarter of next year, and I think when we do that, people will be able to see quite vividly for themselves. You know what the benefit of that acquisition is actually going to, to be for a company like Perseus. Okay, so let's talk about some of the, that free cash flow that you're talking about generating from 2020, 2022 onwards. Um, obviously, between now and then, you, you, you've got a job to do. I think you, you've said that. But companies of a certain of your size start to to go down the M and A route. They overpay, or they put the money back in the ground. And I know you've talked the language of paying dividends, but you're never going to be able to pay meaningful dividends, are you? Because, I mean, you, you'd rather see the growth come through the share price, presumably, and whatever you do, whatever money you're spending in the ground. Well, I, I think that I think that attitude has actually changed somewhat in recent years. And that was certainly used to be the, uh, the view of gold companies that uh, the shareholders invested in you for capital growth, and that was the end of the story. I, I think people still want a capital growth. There's no two ways about that. But I think they're also starting to look for a return or at least some holding, cover their holding costs basically in the interim period. So uh, certainly from the conversations I've had with our investors, a, uh, a dividend, albeit small, would be would be quite welcome just to cover cover the costs of uh, of being there. What, what, what sort of level would you be thinking about? Uh, look, at this stage of the game, I wouldn't like to, to make any comment around that. I mean, this is going to be a subject that we as a board uh, discuss in, in some length uh, towards the end of this year as we as we sort of uh, you know move on from where we are now but now look it's something that we're going to have to have to consider very carefully the one thing we, we are absolutely adamant about is that if we do uh, start paying a dividend we want to be able to do it in a way that we don't have to switch it on and switch it off or decrease it over time um, so we'll need to find a mechanism where you know we can we can declare a dividend that we can sustainably comfortably sustain and that our share any shareholder who buys a stock can do it in the full knowledge that they're going to be paid that dividend, albeit it might not be uh, as, as big as some other companies might pay. Okay, so let's come back to that balance sheet then. Um, the type of profile of companies that you would consider buying is, is what? You're not going to go out and buy a Resolute, are you? Well, what, what we're looking at, we're not going to buy anything right now because I think everything is fairly well priced. So let's, let's be clear about that. But no, I mean, the ideal, the sweet spot for us would be to... Um, to buy a, uh, a late-stage exploration project where we can deploy our development team to really add some value. Now, you know, we've built three mines now, or we're in, we're in the latter stages of building our third mine. So I, I think it's fair to say that we do have the capability of doing that. And, um, you know, so we would very much like to be able to continue to deploy those uh, those skills that we've acquired and that knowledge we've acquired over time 
by 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 continuing as a as a developing uh, as a developer actually as well as a, a an explorer and a producer. Interesting. Okay, so there's no doubt you can build mines, um, but that's the profile of the companies that you think you'd be looking to acquire going forward at the point you want to. Well, that's the idea. That's the sweet spot for us for sure. Right. Now, you know, having said that, um, there are not an awful lot of those um, assets sitting out there saying "buy me" kind of thing. Um, the ones that are out there have, uh, you know, generally attract attract a pretty decent bid, and uh, and it is quite competitive. So, look, it's it's a, it's a case of looking at all sorts of things. And, and not not sort of going into the, any of this sort of thing with a closed mind. Now, at the moment, we're saying it's unlikely that we will find uh, anything that we can acquire and generate the sorts of returns we're chasing. However, that doesn't mean to say that we, we shut up shop and we don't look. We absolutely look. We're, we're, we're constantly looking for opportunities. And, and um, you know, the thing that I think persons can say is that Given our track record since 2016, where we acquired Amara, more recently acquired Exor, when an opportunity presents that is, is is one that we can actually feel we can make a decent amount of money off, we can execute. And we've done that twice. I don't think there's any doubt about our ability to do that, to spot value and then to execute. Right. Okay. That's fantastic. Talk, can you talk to me about your share registry? What's the makeup of that? How much, how much is of it is institutional? Oh, well, it's it's largely institutional, probably overall at least eighty percent, I would think. But it's a it's an interesting register. It's split between the United States with about 43 percent, uh, UK Europe about 30, 30 odd percent, thirty two percent maybe, and about twenty to thirty percent in Australia. And so um, it's a, it is you know held on a global basis. Um, you know traditionally it's been. Um, uh, you know, the, the resources funds have held us, the, the bigger gold funds, the Franklins, the Ruffers, people of that nature. Um, more recently, we've seen quite a bit of quant money coming into the into the registers. So uh, we're seeing the uh, Van X and people of that, that light. But um, I think that, the, you know, I, I don't want to sound vain around it, but I think the, the, the quality of our register is outstanding. We've got an excellent group of shareholders who, are, uh, you know, have come in. And quite recently, we've had a number of people come into onto our register, you know, major institutions, who five or six years ago, quite openly declared Perseus as uninvestable, and now today they're very happy shareholders. So I think the transition that we've made is being recognised, and as reflected by the share register, and uh, those people have been well rewarded to date, and I expect will be very well rewarded. Looking forward. You, yeah, you've had a good run of it since the beginning of 2019 to today, for, for sure. But with large institutional registries come problems of liquidity, right? You know, you, you kind of still need that retail mix or family office mix to kind of you know keep keep the trading going. But well, firstly, do you agree with that? Well, it, it used to be correct to say that, but a lot of the quant money moves pretty quickly these days too. And, um, you know, I think, you know, we, we trade about 9 million shares a day on average now. If you wound it back, um, so maybe two years ago, we'd be lucky to have done 5 million shares a day. So over the last couple of years, we've seen significant uh, increase in turnover. There's quite a lot of liquidity. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing in the sense that, uh, well, it's a good thing in the sense that people can, can buy into the stock and get out if they wish to. But it also then, if you do have high liquidity, you then become something of an investment vehicle and, and you do get a, quite a lot of churning. So 
you know, it, it has its good points and its bad points, let me say. Right, for, for, for sure, for sure. It's uh, it was somewhere in the middle, uh, somewhere a bit more Goldilocks-like. But the, the, the future-proofing of the company is what people are judging you on today. Your shareholders are making money when your shares go up. You know, and these large institutions have drivers of their own. They have a certain... Um, idea in the head about what they want you to be doing. I suspect it's around M&A, but what are they telling you that they want to see more of from you? Well, I think the, the companies, the, the uh, investors, they want growth for sure. No, no question about that. But they want responsible growth and, and they don't want you, uh, you know, going out and, and just blazing away and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, spend, overpaying for assets and the like. Now I've just come off a, off a um, you know, a virtual global roadshow last week where we spoke to uh, many investors actually in all in all of the countries that I mentioned, and I think that overwhelmingly the uh, the the feeling from the people we spoke to is extremely supportive of the, of the organic growth approach that we're taking at the present time, recognizing that inorganic growth, while it is it is possible, is is challenging at the section at the end of the market that we're looking at. You know, if you look at, and lots of people talk about the consolidation of the business, and this year there has been quite a number of mergers that occur. But if you look at the how it's actually uh, the structure of it, at the big end of town, the merge, there have been zero premium mergers, so mergers of equal, if you will. But down at the bottom end of the market, the 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 explorer still wants lots of money for for their efforts, and there are premium being paid at the bottom end of the market. So um, you know, I think that. Uh, I think that our investors say, yes, we believe you're right. You're not, you know, the, the sort of people that you would consider investing are pretty darned expensive right now. And we agree that you can actually make, create more value through judicious exploration as well. Now, they're not saying go out and fire at will on the exploration front either, by the way, but we do have some outstanding opportunities ahead of us and things where we can very rapidly convert them from targets we believe into, uh, you know, dual compliant reserves on the, uh, on the balance sheet, as it were. So, um, no, I think that, uh, you know, uh, they certainly want that. But as I said, all of this is underpinned by the fact that investors want you to do this in a, in a sustainable manner where you're, you know, treating your environment and your, uh, your you know, your communities well. And so, you know, we would, we would look at our business and say, well, what are the pillars of our business? Well, clearly the, the physical assets are exceptionally important. I mean, without them, you're not going anywhere. Secondly, we would say that the financial assets are pretty darn important too. If you don't have money to pay your bills, you're not going anywhere either. But the human side, the human resources is, is equally important because it doesn't matter how good your assets are, if you can't have people who can actually operate and do things properly, you're not going anywhere. But finally, the sustainability piece is extremely important too because you can have the best assets in the world, the most money, the greatest team of people, but unless you're welcomed in the communities where you operate, then you're also going to struggle at that point. So the sustainability side where we look at, you know, OH&S issues, we look at environment, we look at community relations, government relations, security, all of these things, we believe they need to be attended to with the same level of vigour as we do our exploration, development and operating activities. And, and, and similarly, when it comes to human resources and so, in terms of future-proofing our organisation, we're currently looking at are we structured appropriately, are we adequately resourced, do we have sufficient um, skills available to us in, in the areas where we need them, do we have sufficient motivation and, and leadership to, to bring people through, do we have succession planning in place? 
all of those things are ne necessary in order to be able to cope with the next phase of, of growth, which we will deliver, you know, either through organic or inorganic means, as you know, whichever is presenting the best opportunity. In a bull market, people tend to lose their minds and the decision-making changes. So do you think the ESG, the green component, the sustainability element is enough to keep people invested in you whilst you go through a quite, probably a quiet period in terms of being able to demonstrate that growth, demonstrate what you're going to be able to do with the XOR resource in terms of exploration, your other exploration, the, the, you know, bringing Yarora into production, it, you've still got some proof points to make there. You know, you, you still have to show people that you're going to be able to do it. Absolutely. So, so do you feel that people get distracted by the, the shiny objects off to their left or off to their right? And then maybe think about coming back to you when you've kind of done what you say you're going to do? Well, well they may well do that. And, and, and if that's the, their approach, then we say, well, good on you because, you know, that, that's, that's fine. We, we've set a, we set out some time ago to do a particular thing and, we, and I believe that we're well and truly on the path to doing it. One of our core values, and, and you know, we talk about our values, but one of our really core values is is achievement. It's doing what you say you're going to do. We don't say we're going to do something unless we do it. And if you look back at what we have done over the last four or so years, every single thing that we've said to the market we're going to do, we've done. And we will continue to do that. For us, it's all about execution. We would rather execute and talk about it in hindsight than stand on a street corner and tell people what we're going to do. And that's a bit of a different approach. And I think that it perhaps the fact that we haven't been quite so vocal over time may well have caused the share price not to be seen uh, you know, in the same light as some of our competitors. However, we're not overly concerned by that because we do believe that the weight of numbers will speak for themselves. The way we're building this company, and when I talk about the half million ounces per year, that is between now and, and a year and a bit's time. But at the end of this year, we'll be producing from our third mine. And progressively, that production level will, you know, will, will incrementally increase. So, you know, people say, well, well, what is it that's standing between you and 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 that production level? Well, I think that we used to say there are three three key things. One was financing risk, one was development risk, and one was operating risk. Well, the financing risk is not an issue any longer. We've funded the project, and in fact, we're, we're, we're well funded for that. In terms of development risk, we're within two months, I would say, of, of completely eliminating that development risk. We're very, very close to the final strokes on this project. And in fact, we're in the commissioning mode right now as we speak. So that leaves the, the, the operating risk. You know, can we actually operate our assets well enough to be able to deliver the targets? Well, what I would say to people who have questions about that, just take a look at what we've done for the last 15 quarters. And you'll see a very steady, um, you know, line of production and uh, you know, gradually decreasing cost structures, et cetera, et cetera, that has come about by us focusing on the task at hand and, and doing what we say we're going to do. Now, are we going to change our mode going into the future? Well, I can't see a reason why we would. And I think that you know, the, for us to, to deliver on that promise of the 500,000 ounces at the margin, cash margin we've talked about, is it's all about getting down, getting your sleeves rolled up and, and doing your thing. And that's what we do best. Jeff, that's a really good point to end on, the fact that you are consistently reducing costs as well. We, we haven't touched upon that, and I think it's uh, worth noting. Um, like, brilliant run through, Jeff. Um, it's nice. I hadn't, we have not spoken before, and I've, you know, I've not heard this story you know, from anyone in the company before, so I appreciate your time today. It's a nice one. So do you want to leave us with one thought? So why should 
new investors be looking at you uh, as, as the pri their primary gold investment? Well, a new investor wants to look at us to make money. And I say to them, well, if you look at what uh, our price to cash flow multiple is today, and when you look at what the cash flow that's coming through as when the third mine kicks in, there has to be a re-rating in our, in our stock price if, if we are going to be rated in a similar way to the peer group, which I'm sure we will in due course. Um, so I, I think that, you know, as a, um, as a prospective investment, people stand to make a lot of money and you can be absolutely sure that you know, the company's in good hands. It's in safe hands. We're not going to do anything crazy. And I think that uh, people who invest in us will do very well. Beautiful. Jeff, thanks very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you indeed. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.